Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you today? All is well. God is on his throne. It sure doesn't look well this side of heaven, but um, it is well because God never leaves his throne and he works all things together for good, not for everyone. I keep saying this, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And I'd like to continue in the section we're at with the catechism explained on this section of divine providence. And I want to reread the last couple of paragraphs that we spoke of. Um, They're very, very important uh, because circumstances should not determine our peace or our trust. The man who cheerfully resigns himself to the will of God obtains true peace of mind, attains great perfection, and will be blessed by God. The soul resigned to the will of God is like the needle pointing to the north. The soul that submits itself to all God's arrangements has already begun to live the life of heaven upon earth. <clears throat> I can attest to that, beloved. Um, to trust in God is to have his peace even in the midst of suffering. If trouble comes, its peace is not disturbed. Every trial is extinguished like a spark that falls into the sea. It loves sufferings because it knows that they come from God's hand. Now, let me just um, interject there. Uh, we're not masochists. I'm not a masochist. I don't love suffering. But I, I love what I know that comes from God's hand or at least it, that he permits. And I've said too many times to count that nothing touches us that God does not allow, that his hand has not permitted. A man resigned to God's will has his cross carried for him. He who renounces his own will in order to carry out the holy will of God soon attains to perfection. Thus the resigning of our will to God's is the most perfect offering we can make him. The man who is resigned is like a ship in the hands of the pilot. He is sure to arrive safely into port. A farmer whose fields bore better crops than those of others was asked the reason for it. He answered that he always got the weather that he wanted. And when asked to explain himself, he replied, I am always content with the weather that God sends. This pleases God, and so he blesses my crops. We continue now. Our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane is a beautiful example of submission to the will of God. Christ's prayer was, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He was obedient to his heavenly Father, even to death, the death of the cross. The holy angels find their happiness in the fulfillment of the will of God. St. Mary Magdalene of Pazzi said, I would bear with joy the heaviest troubles 
so soon as I knew that they were the will of God. So also said all the saints. And so some ask, how are the misfortunes of the good and the prosperity of the wicked to be reconciled with the providence of God? And the answer is that these are only apparent, not real. Seneca says that the prosperity of those who are clad in purple is often like the splendor of the actor who is dressed up in royal purple. The sinner, after a time, loses all enjoyment from his sins. No sinner, beloved, I'm reading now, no sinner has true happiness and no servant of God true misery. For true happiness is impossible without inner peace and contentment. And this is possessed by the true servant of God, but not by the sinner. The world, riches, honors, sensual pleasures, eating, drinking, can never give us true peace. This can only be attained by following the teaching of Christ. True peace and happiness are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The wicked have no peace. They are like the raging sea, which cannot rest. Peace and happiness do not come of riches or of high position or of bodily strength, or of intellectual vigor. Still less do they come from the wearing of fine clothes or from the enjoyment of rich feasts, but they come from peace of soul and a good conscience. You see, I'm thinking right now of all the bishops, all the hierarchy that has defected from the faith. They don't come. Peace does not come from a high position or of intellectual vigor. No. Or of fine vestments, I should say. But from peace of soul and a good conscience. The beggar at the gate of the rich dives was a happier man, even in this world, than dives himself. Moreover, the good fortune of the sinner is for the most part only transitory. The prosperity of the wicked is like the cedar of Lebanon, which in a few hours is cut down and is no more seen. It is a building built on sand. The storms and winds soon lay it low, soon lay it low. How quickly Napoleon the Great fell from the height to which his vaulting ambition had raised him at the cost of so many lives. The real recompense Sorry, the real recompense of man only begins after death, beloved. Hence our Lord says, many that are first shall be last and the last first. Many rich and distinguished men will be far below those who have been beggars at their door. God has provided for his friends in the next life an enjoyment and happiness far surpassing any enjoyments on this earth. This is the explanation of the apparent injustice of the present life. Our Lord says to his disciples, Amen, Amen, I say to you that you shall lament and weep and the world shall rejoice and you shall be made sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Sinners are rewarded on this earth 
for the little good that they have done. The just, on the other hand, are for the most part punished in this life for the evil they have done. Our Lord says, Woe to you that are rich, for you have your consolation. That is, your reward for the good you have done is given you in this world. And some would ask, dear ones, how is sin to be reconciled with the providence of God? First, it is not God who is responsible for sin and its consequences, but man's wrong use of his free will. God created man free and therefore does not hinder even those free actions which are evil. There are also many reasons why God should not hinder evil. If there were no evil in the world, man would have no opportunity of doing what is good. He would not have the choice between good and evil and would not be able to earn the reward of good accomplished. Compare the parable of the cockle among the wheat. God, says St. Augustine, God would never have permitted evil if he had not intended to bring some greater good out of it. Secondly, God in his wisdom employs even sin for a good end. The patriarch Joseph very truly said to his brethren, you thought evil against me, but God turned it into good. God turned to good even the treachery of Judas. It contributed to the work of man's redemption. The bee makes honey out of poisonous plants. The potter makes beautiful vessels out of dirty earth. God does something similar to this. And besides, it does not become us to pry into the secret designs of God. We poor miserable creatures must adore his wisdom and submit ourselves humbly to what he ordains. What is true of sin is true of all the suffering that is the consequence of sin. Beloved, we're now on chapter 7, the Christian under suffering. I bet you've been waiting for this one. The Christian under suffering. And no one, beloved, these are my comments, no one on their way to heaven. No one who is walking with our Lord and following him and taking up his cross and following Jesus as he has instructed us to do. There is no one who is without suffering. Father Sparago says man can suffer in body or soul or both. The apostles, when they were scourged, suffered in body. Judas, when he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, suffered in his soul. Holy Job suffered in both. Suffering is either merited or unmerited. The sufferings of the prodigal son were merited. Those of the patriarch Joseph were unmerited, yet all sufferings are merited by original sin, beloved. By original sin, we have earned suffering. Uh, there's the music, dear ones, for our first break. We'll, be, we'll continue with this when we come back from the break. And after the second break, we'll have a half hour all to ourselves for your calls and emails. Toll-free number is one 877 511-5483. We'll be right back. 
Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I'm a widower, parent of three almost adults, and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTigg, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office, and many other great things that Station of the Cross does. So thanks very much for your great work. I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started, and I was so excited. I tuned into it, and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If you've been blessed, by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Did you know that an unwanted car or truck can make a great gift? When the time comes to purchase a new one, consider donating your old car or truck to the Station of the Cross. We have a quick and simple way for you to get rid of your unwanted vehicle while supporting the solid Catholic programming you love listening to on your radio, online, and through your mobile devices. Whether they run or not, we accept cars, trucks, RVs, boats, and motorcycles. It's a great opportunity for you to give more than you might normally be able to. At the same time, you'll be clearing out space in your garage or driveway, ridding yourself of an unwanted vehicle. Just visit us online at thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS, 1-866-628-2277. May God bless you for your generosity in support of Catholic Radio. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she, and we are live uh, by audio, not video yet. Um, and I'm just so thrilled to be with you. And we are speaking about the Christian under suffering and the fact that no one can attain to eternal salvation without suffering. No one, says Paul to Timothy, no one is crowned unless he strive lawfully. Even Christ had to enter into his glory through suffering. Our Lord says, he that taketh not up his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. The road to heaven is a rough one. In order to make the flax that grows in the earth into pure white linen, it must be rubbed, stretched, and thoroughly cleansed and woven. The corn has to be threshed and winnowed. The pure gold has to pass through fire. Not to suffer is a sign that no future happiness is in store for you. Suffering and holiness are inseparably bound together. There is no good work that does not meet with obstacles, no virtue that does not have to fight and struggle. For this reason, God leaves no just man without suffering. God treats us as a physician treats his patients, those of whose recovery he despairs, he leaves alone. 
but to those whom he hopes to cure, he administers bitter medicines. As milk is the food of children, so are contradictions the food of God's elect. To his chosen, God gives a sword on earth to pierce their heart and a crown in heaven to adorn their heads. Yet God mingles with the bitterness of suffering the sweets of consolation. I'll repeat that. God mingles with the bitterness of suffering the sweets of consolation. We see this through the history of Our Lady, which consists of alternate joys and sorrows. So too, we celebrate the seven joys and sorrows of St. Joseph. Secondly, all suffering comes from God and is a sign of his love and favor. We find in the lives of the saints that the more good works they undertook for God, the more did suffering assail them, as in the case of Tobias and of Holy Job. Suffering seemed to be the reward of good works performed. They are a precious gift, which will avail us to all eternity. To suffer something for God is in itself a great privilege and honor. I'm reading this, beloved, but every word is filling me with a deep sense of joy. It is a better gift. To suffer something for God is in itself a great privilege and honor. And I don't, I'm not a masochist. I don't enjoy suffering for one second, but I know that it's from God. And I know that he works all things together for good. And I know that he is, who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Father Sparago says, it is a better gift than that of performing miracles and raising the dead. Parents often punish their children to cure them of their faults. If they see the same fruits in the children of others, they do not trouble themselves about them because they do not care for them. So it is with God. The children whom he loves, he often corrects. Hence Raphael and said to Tobias, because thou wast pleasing to God, it was necessary that temptation should prove thee. And St. Paul says, whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And the writer of Ecclesiasticus says, gold and silver are tried in the fire and acceptable men in the furnace of tribulation. The greater a saint, the greater were in most cases his sufferings. Our Lady was the queen of martyrs. The apostles had to suffer much, especially St. Peter and St. Paul. To be free from suffering is a bad sign. St. Augustine says, there is no greater misfortune than the good fortune of sinners. He who does not suffer now will have to suffer hereafter. Beloved, when I read this, I'm filled with joy to think even about our community. Since we were founded in 2008, uh, we have not ceased to um, have Many come against us, be put out of diocese and off the radio and all of that. Um, I, I, I don't rejoice in that. I rejoice in the providence of God. And I'll tell you the truth. You may think I'm weird or, or sick. I'm not. Um, well, maybe I am. But um, if, if 
life goes by for a very long time and everything is wonderful and there's no trials, no suffering, no challenges. Um, it's just all bliss. I, I personally begin to worry. Am I no longer living for God? What's happening? Why, why is everything terrific? I don't trust it. It's true. Whoever lives, um, Peter says, uh, godly in this present world will suffer persecution. And back to Father Sparagos, he says, yet God never sends us any suffering that is beyond our powers of endurance. St. Paul says God is faithful, who will not permit you to suffer above that which you are able. And you say, well, how am I? I'm not able. With God's grace, we are. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The peasant knows how much his beast of burden can carry and does not load him beyond his strength. Will God, the all-wise, the all-merciful, lay more on us than we can bear? The potter does not leave his vessels too long in the fire, lest they should crack. He who plays on an instrument is careful not to tighten the strings too much, lest they should break, nor too little, for then they would produce no sound. The physician apportions his remedies to the power of his patient, so the heavenly physician sends us sufferings in proportion to our power of bearing them. There are some people who make sufferings for themselves because they find fault with what gives no cause for complaint. Isn't that, isn't that insane? I'm going to reread that. There are some people who make sufferings for themselves because they find fault with what gives no cause to complain. <laughs> Even in real sufferings, much complaining is a sign of faint-heartedness and makes us more sensible to suffering. Thirdly, God sends suffering to the sinner to bring him back into the right way and to save him from eternal death. How many have been converted by means of sufferings? Manassas in the prison of Babylon, Jonah, the prodigal son, even the wicked Ahab. God is like a surgeon who cuts away the deceased flesh that it may not cause death. Sufferings also bring about a disgust for earthly things. And they make the sinful pleasures of the world bitter. They destroy our dependence on earthly things and take away the desire for the enjoyments and the pleasures of this valley of tears and turn our thoughts to heaven. Sufferings again impress upon us our own helplessness, compel us to have recourse to God in prayer. They teach us a knowledge of ourselves and of our own sinfulness. As the trees after the winter flower and bring forth fruit, so does man after suffering bring forth works pleasing to God. St. Therese, Therese of Avila says suffering, though very hard to bear, are the surest way to God. Sufferings, she says, though very hard to bear, are the surest way to God. And St. Teresa of Avila sure knew what she was talking about. She suffered much. God frequently sends bodily sickness to the sinner for the healing of the sickness of his soul. 
how many there are who have been converted to God through the means of bodily sickness, St. Francis of Assisi and St. Ignatius of Loyola. The wise man says, a grievous sickness makes the soul sober. In sickness, God knocks at the door of the heart and asks for admission. I am always glad, said St. Ignatius, I'm always glad when I see a sinner fall ill, for sickness brings back to God. <clears throat> How foolish it is then to regard sickness as a mark of God, God's anger when it is really a mark of his compassion. Number four, God sends suffering to the just man to try him, whether he loves God most or creatures. I'll repeat that. God sends suffering to the just man, to us, to try him, whether to see whether he loves God most or creatures. Job, who had always lived a God-fearing life, lost all his property, his children, and his health, and was derided by his wife and his friends. Tobias had buried the dead at the peril of his life and given most liberal arms. God took away his sight and left him poor and unable to earn anything for himself. Thus God tries his friends. As the storm, see, beloved, with the very thought that God tries his friends, it makes me very happy. Because if I'm tried, and it comes from God, and nothing touches me that God doesn't allow, then I think, does God consider me his friend? How could I have a greater honor on earth? As the storm tests the tree, whether it is firmly rooted, so suffering tests the just, whether they are firmly established in their love of God. As the wind separates the chaff from the wheat, so trouble marks off the sinner from the just. I could think of so many people, some that I know and love, who turned from God because of their suffering, because he didn't answer the prayers that they, the way they wanted him to answer. They turned from God. They are most foolish. And they, their claim that they used to love God is also false. As the wind separates the chaff from the wheat, so trouble marks off the sinner from the just. Sweet herbs smell the sweetest when they are bruised. And the just are most pleasing to God in the time of tribulation. God often takes away from us what we love best, dear ones, and that which is injurious or dangerous, just as a father takes from his little child a razor or a sharp knife. There's the music for our half-hour break, beloved. We'll come back and have an entire half-hour all to ourselves for your calls, your emails, whatever is on your heart. The toll-free number is one 511 5483 or uh, email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
This is Franciscan Media Saint of the Day for July 7th. Today we celebrate Blessed Emmanuel Ruiz and Companions. Not much is known of the early life of Emmanuel Ruiz, but details of his heroic death in defense of the faith have come down to us. That is enough for the Church to honor him and his companions, who are among the many men and women martyred during the 19th century. Born of humble parents in Spain in 1804, he became a Franciscan priest and served as a missionary in Damascus. During this time, tension between the Muslim and Christian communities was high. Anti-Christian riots shook Syria, and thousands lost their lives in just a short time. Among these were Emmanuel, who was the superior of the Franciscan convent, along with seven other friars and three laymen. When a menacing crowd came to the convent looking for them, the men refused to renounce their faith and convert to Islam, as the crowd insisted. Before their martyrdom, the Franciscans and their friends were subjected to horrible tortures. Emmanuel and his companions died in 1860 and were beatified by Pope Pius XI in 1926. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. It's not as scary as I thought it was. It's a much more warm and open place, and God really is about love. It's not about the rules and the things that I remember as a young child. It really is about the love that God has for each one of us that's so um, deep and wonderful. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she, we are live, and I'm so thrilled to be with you. Um, please feel free to call in with any of your questions whatsoever. Uh, we always do our best to answer or to um, maybe refer you to those who might um, uh, have a better answer or, or the answer altogether. Um, so again, our toll-free number is one 511 uh, 5, 1-877-511-5483. Um, let me see now. We have a question. We started this uh, uh, the other day, uh, an email from somebody who writes in uh, anonymously. Hold on just a moment now. Okay. And says, I've heard multiple people talk about the Catholic charismatic renewal. Can you please explain to me what this is and how it came about. Um, let me just, I'll read you, uh, there's so many articles and so many descriptions of it. Um, let me just see here. Um, it, I think it was in uh, basically 1967, um, 
it's it's uh, the renewal uh, has been described as a current of grace. It began in 1967 when Catholics from Duquesne University attended a Protestant worship service and claimed to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, beloved, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit at our baptism, even if we're an hour old, um, because the uh, uh, state of original sin is removed from us. And, the, and God himself, uh, by means of his Holy Spirit, comes to indwell us. And we are born again. Uh, we are new creatures in Christ. Um, uh, this our one article says, um, the charis, uh, Catholic charismatic renewal is heavily influenced by American Protestantism, especially evangelical Protestantism, with an emphasis on having a personal relationship with Jesus, deep emotional experiences, and expressing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I also want to say that if, because I've been looking into this for a while, um, if you go back to the early church, uh, you will see the expression of our having a personal relationship with Jesus. You cannot be more personal than receiving him in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. You cannot get more personal with that. Um, uh, and sometimes, um, while the char Catholic charismatic renewal uh, spread throughout all the world, uh, it's called a renewal, I think, because the initial Catholic charismatic uh, movement began at Pentecost in 30 AD, when the Holy Spirit came down and filled over 3,000 people, and they started speaking in tongues. And the, the movement, that movement, um, has spread throughout the world to this day. Um, and the speaking in tongues was not um, uh, babble, so to speak. It was uh, truly understanding other languages uh, when you didn't speak them. So I would speak in Italian, and you'd be French, and you would understand me in your language. Um, and uh, much confusion has resulted from the Catholic charismatic renewal, but uh, also much good. And so, um, um, let me just see. Uh, uh, there's a cardinal, uh, uh, Suenens, Leo Josef Suenens, if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. He described the Catholic charismatic renewal as not a specific movement. The renewal is not a movement in common sociological sense. It does not have founders, it is not homogeneous, and it includes a great variety of realities. It is a current of grace, excuse me, a renewing breath of the spirit for all members of the church laity, religious priests, and bishops. It is a challenge for us all. Um, and so he goes on to say, one does not form a part of the renewal. Rather, the renewal becomes a part of us, provided that we accept the grace it offers. Now, there's many different understandings of this, dear ones, many opinions Many do, do not believe that the Holy Spirit acts in our lives today. Many do not believe that uh, the gifts of the Spirit are alive today, but they are. They are. 
but the fact is God gives. Read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. God gives gifts as he wills, and they're all for the building up of the body, every one of them. Not for our own enjoyment, but the gifts we're given are always for others, for the salvation of souls and the building up of the body of Christ. We have an email from Martin, and Martin says, how do you feel about borders? Um, can Catholics be justified in restricting immigration to protect their sovereign nation? Well, uh, I don't like answering anything on feelings. <coughs> it is obvious that the current border situation is tragic, sinful, completely out of control, and not intended by by anything good. Um, let me just uh, see one thing here. Hold on a moment. I don't know why I got the hiccups. I'll, I'll try to clear them during the break. There's an article um, uh, by Trent Horn on Catholic uh, Answers uh, titled The Illegal Immigration and the Morality of Deportation. Um, he says, there seems to be a lot of evidence out there that the church considers deportation inherently immoral. It's not the case. Um, uh, and he goes on to say, immigration is a complex issue, and the church wisely rejects two false approaches to it. On the one hand, it affirms that people have a right to migrate, and so countries cannot absolutely prohibit immigration. On the other hand, the church rejects the view that governments must allow anyone to enter and remain within their borders. <clears throat> this means that the right to immigrate can be legally restricted. The catechism says, quote, political authorities for the sake of the common good for which they are responsible may make the exercise of the right to immigrate subject to various juridical conditions. Um, and these conditions would entail that some people are not permitted to immigrate into a country. And if they illegally do so anyway, they may face legal punishment, including being deported. Um, <clears throat> some Catholics, however, Trent says, claim that the church teaches that deportation is intrinsically evil. Um, one uh, Rachel Amiri, A-M-I-R-I, writes, it is worth recalling that deportation is evil and that Catholics affirm that all human beings possess a God-given right to migrate. <clears throat> and Trent says that <clears throat> she cites an article in a journal, journal affiliated with the Catholic Health Association of the United States, which says, quote, the Catholic moral tradition has identified deportation, not simply mass deportation, with strong moral, morally objectionable language. It cites the personal statements of some cardinal, uh, sorry, cardinals, but the only magisterial doc documents it cites are Veritatis Splendor and Gaudium et Spes. Um, 
let me just see. Um, it's, it's just way too long um, uh, to read this entire article. Let me just get down a little bit. Um, <clears throat> the question of immigration today, however, pre presents wholly new problems. As always, the welfare of the country must be considered as well as the interests of the individuals seeking to enter. And in the nature of things, circumstances will at times dictate a law of restriction. But by the same token, circumstances at time will almost cry out for an easing of the application of that law. Wise legislation will ever be conscience, conscious of the humanity and the calamities, distress and woes to which it is heir. Um, this article would take me three programs to read in total. Uh, I'm going to the conclusion, and you're welcome to go to catholic.com and uh, type in immigration in the search bar. In conclusion, Trent Horn says, Catholics should continue to promote immigration policies that respect the right to migrate and treat migrants with compassion, while also respecting the right of nations to maintain sovereign borders. This would include the right, in at least some circumstances, to deport people who illegally enter. Um, dear ones, some of us would say, what right do we have? We should take everybody, the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, the, the humble masses yearning to break three, free. We would like to do that. But in doing that, uh, uh, to begin with, the masses, hundreds of thousands entering our countries are not always just people. Um, and uh, it, it puts into harm's way many of the citizens of, of our own country or of other countries. So there needs to be wisdom there, beloved. Um, so the answer, Martin, is yes. Catholics can be justified in restricting immigration to protect their sovereign nation, to protect the people within their nation and even to protect those who would come in and plunder our people. Um, here's one more. Um, what is, from Juan, who uh, has a comment on YouTube, what is moral relativism and how can we counteract it in our world today? Hold on a moment now. One momento. I had a good article up and it left me. What is moral relativism and how can we counteract it in our world today? Well, to, to say that everything is relative would also say there are no absolutes. Everything is relative. There's no truth. There's no absolutes. I had an employer uh, in my 20s in New York and, um, and I had come. No, I was in my early 30s. And I had come to give my life to our Lord. And I was talking with him. He was Jewish, as, as I. And he, we were at dinner. And when I was talking about God, he said, and he pounded on the table. And the silverware went up in the air, pounded so strongly. He said, there are no absolutes. 
And I said to him, I love, I always love my response to this one. I said, are there absolutely no absolutes? You see, that means there are absolutes. So um, this is um, uh, how to refute moral relativism. Um, um, let me just see. Uh, now, this is also a very, very long article uh, by Carlo Broussard of Catholic Answers, and very good. Um, let me just take a look at it um, uh, to see, to get you the, the, the point. So, moral relativism, just in short, would be to say there's no right or wrong, it's, your, it's up to you, it's up, up to everybody to determine what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. Uh, it, it's all relevant. There are no absolutes. So abortion, some people think it's sinful, some people think it's not. It's all relative. That's moral relativism, to say there are no absolutes, there are no truths. You can go to Catholic.com and look up moral relativism, and you will get how to refute it and all the issues involved. I'll just leave it there for now, dear one. We'll be right back. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Since you may not agree that the New Testament came to us through the oral tradition of the apostles, how do you believe it did come to us? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a language aid. In Latin, the word tradition is a verb, not a noun. It's the act of handing over. Handing over what? Handing over the faith. You see, capital T tradition continues to answer the questions the Bible doesn't explicitly answer. For example, you've noticed that contraception or doctor-assisted suicide and many other crucial human topics are not laid out in the Bible. Secondly, analogous to baseball, the totality of baseball has been handed on to each generation. This is very different than just the small t tradition of saying not flipping the bat after hitting a home run. And thirdly, in case you're trying to rid church traditions to be non-traditional, just know that capital T tradition is what got you to Jesus. Drop kicking small religious traditions to be considered non-traditional is like the dog chasing his tail. His task is never fruitless and thoroughly silly. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Uh, we, this is our last segment. Our lines are wide open. 
And there's 10 minutes if you wish to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. You can write or call in anonymously if you wish. Uh, it's always a choice on your part, never an issue to us. Uh, toll free number 1 877 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com we have a um, uh, a writer who writes in anonymously and says can you please speak about private property and the universal destination of goods um i never want to just give you what i think or my opinion so i always look on these questions to church teaching and make sure that my own thoughts are in alignment with that the catechism says that the right to private property acquired or received in a just way does not do away with the original gift of the earth to the whole of mankind. The universal destination of goods remains primordial, even if the promotion of the common good requires respect for the right to private property and its exercise. I'm thinking about uh, I can't think of the name of it, but Pope Benedict XVI's wonderful writing on the distribution of goods. The Catechism goes on to say, in his use of things, man should regard the external goods he legitimately owns, not merely as exclusive to himself, but common to others also, in the sense that they can benefit others as well as himself. The ownership of any property makes its holder a steward of providence with the task of making it fruitful and communicating its benefits to others. First of all, his family. Uh, you know, dear ones, what I'm thinking of with this, this is what God has taught us through all of history. Everything, God provided the Israelites with every single thing they need. And when they came into the Holy Land, um, they, uh, the land of milk and honey, they had everything. But God taught them the practice of gleaning. They were to glean 10% of everything, and they were to leave a certain amount of the end of their whole border of their property. They were not to glean it. They were to leave all the fruit of that for the poor, for uh, strangers who would come and be needy to pick. It would be theirs. Uh, the fruit of the Israelites' work would be the gift of those who didn't have what they had. So all that we have comes from God. And if we share it with the world, understanding that God has made us a steward of all that we have, uh, it's all his. He's made us a steward of it. Uh, the church explains how utilizing another's goods may be morally justified versus immoral stealing. The seventh commandment forbids theft, that is usurping another's property against the reasonable will of the owner. There's no theft if consent can be presumed or if refusal is contrary to reason and the universal destination of goods. This is the case in obvious and urgent necessity when the only way to provide for immediate essential needs, food, food, shed, sorry, food shelter, and clothing is to put at one's disposal and use the property of others. Beloved, we've just closed, thanks to all of you, over a 1,000 people who helped us to close on 86 acres of land. 
with two huge structures. We're going there daily. We're cleaning it up. We have to put it in shape. We have to do quite a bit of construction um, within the buildings themselves to make it our little monastery. Um, we're ecstatic, but we have a lot of property, and um, we uh, we share it with others, you know, uh, and we ex- exchange things. Uh, so there are those that um, need hay. And so they can come and mow our land and take all the hay and they don't charge us for mowing. It's a beautiful exchange. Um, a person um, should do everything possible to, let me just see. Um, oh, this, that's another, that's another, it has to do with the Heinz dilemma uh, and so forth. But in any case, we need, if we need to remember that everything we have, we don't have to give away everything we have. It's from God, but we're stewards of what he gives us. We're stewards of our children. We're stewards of uh, food and shelter and clothing. We're stewards of the land. It's all what God has given us. And if we're prosperous, we are at fault if we don't take care of the poor around us. Uh, Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you, and they are always for us to reach out to. Um, if we have everything we need to eat and we see a poor family down the street whose father is out of work or who are really uh, starving for food and we live our own lives uh, and we don't think of them and we don't share what we have with them, uh, I think we need to go to confession. We're not living the life God wants us to live. Always think of the Israelites. Um, God had them um, uh, gather their food six days a week, and they were not to gather it on Sunday. And they were used to gathering only enough for one day. And so on Saturday, uh, no, I'm sorry, on Friday, God gave them enough for two days so that they wouldn't go ahead and work on the Sabbath for their food. But some did because they were greedy. You see, the same thing with us. We are not to work on Sunday. And some are greedy. They don't have to work on Sunday, but they want to to get extra money. Um, And again, uh, they do not share what they have from God with others. That's a very, very great problem in our society that we have so many that are so rich and so many that are so very poor. And we count them, the poor, as irresponsible. That's wrong on our part. We cannot judge that. Um, God does not necessarily give us wealth according to our responsibility. Um, Sometimes we inherit things. Sometimes we have greater intelligence and greater gifts to earn more. We need to share with those who do not. We need to raise our children, dear ones, to give to the poor, to learn that every single thing we have is of God and that everything we have, not just our money, is to be shared. We are to give of what God has given us in every way, dear ones. Um, Okay, let me, um, I may have time for one more email from Joshua. He says, hello, Mother Miriam, hope all is well. I was wondering what your thoughts on seminary and being called to study in seminary. What seminary did you attend? Well, I attended Protestant seminary, which wouldn't happen in the Catholic Church. Uh, well, I guess it has in cases, uh, but the seminary is basically for the priesthood. I attended Talbot Theological Seminary, 
um, uh, in in California, um, a Protestant seminary. Joshua says, I'm planning on attending seminary this fall. My name is Joshua and I'm a recent undergraduate grad, undergraduate grad from Voorhees University. My undergraduate degree was in theology. My plans are to become a pastor, chaplain, and biblical studies professor. Well, in that case, Joshua, I'm guessing you're not Catholic. And if you're not Catholic, um, there are good Protestant seminaries. Uh, my goodness, depending on where you live and, and your circumstances, uh, Talbot Theological, which I graduated, is in um, California, part of the Biola University campus. Um, but I would also suggest, dear Joshua, that if you're not Catholic, that you check out a Catholic seminary because you will learn to think because Protestant seminaries are very, um, very rarely cover philosophy and proper church history. You might check out a good Catholic seminary and, uh, or, or a grad school. That may be very good for you, Joshua. God bless all of you, dear ones. And God willing, we'll speak with you on Monday. Have a blessed weekend.